We are in Habakkuk chapter 3. Next week we're going to begin an Advent series, and uh, in that series we will be in John chapter 1. Now it's, uh, we will be in John 1 during Advent, and then after Advent we're going to continue on through the Gospel of John, but uh, you, you may feel like, well, John's so familiar. It is familiar, and yet there is so much there. Typically around Christmas, we think of uh, uh, the accounts in Matthew or Luke where we see the, the shepherds and the angels and the manger and, and those things, what we will see in John is the meaning of all those things, the doctrine that comes out of those things and what it means in the big picture of our salvation. Back to Habakkuk, <clears throat> when people ask me what my favorite book of the Bible is, I'm pretty consistent in answering, and the way I answer it is according to whatever book I'm preaching through at that moment. When it was Romans, that was my favorite book of the Bible, and it really is. <clears throat> Habakkuk, I have to admit, has surprised me in terms of how much I have learned from this book. Uh, I, th I think it, for many, is a, a hidden gem. I had never preached through it. I wish I had many years ago. But uh, I, I love Habakkuk's boldness. I love his honesty. I love that he is willing to speak to God. And I love that he knows when to keep silent and listen to God. And we've seen all of those things in this, what I think is an amazing little book. Last week, Jason shared uh, Habakkuk's prayer, at least the first uh, portion of that. And so what happened is that after all of the dialogue uh, that God had with Habakkuk and Habakkuk had toward God, Habakkuk did the best thing that he could do, and that was that he prayed. And like his conversation with God, his prayer was an honest one. And he basically winds it down, at least to the portion that we are going to look at, starting with verse 17. But uh, with verse 16, he says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Now remember, he's been told by God what's coming. And here he is basically saying, I'm scared. 
That frightens me. If you look at other places in the scripture where it talks about, uh, you know, things like rottenness enters into my bones, where, where my bones are feeling the effect of what's, what's going on, it, he's saying basically to my very core, this is not what I want to hear, nor is it what I want to face. But then he goes on, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. So he knows that, that what's going to happen to him is not the end of the story. And that's what takes him to this point. Uh, God has been patient, and he gave Habakkuk answers that he didn't deserve. None of us deserve answers from God. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't give them, and we see with Habakkuk that he absolutely gave him answers. But the answer was that your people are going to be captured, trouble is coming. Habakkuk said, okay, I'll wait for it. Now, that, that is such a, a resignation I want to make a distinction here before we go into our passage for today, and that is about the difference between just a, a sheer determinism versus what I'm convinced Habakkuk was e expressing, and that is a trust in a sovereign God who is not only in control but he cares. There's a difference between that and just resigning yourself to circumstances, just saying, well, que sera, sera. It's going to happen anyway. Might as well get it out of the way. That's not, that's not biblical trust. When uh, our daughter Rachel and her husband were serving in Turkey, uh, we went over to, to visit them and uh, at one point, we were traveling with them, and we, we stayed in a, a pension, and that's like, basically like a bed and breakfast. And so we went to breakfast, and a young Muslim man was uh, serving us. Typically, it would have been his father and him, because they ran the business together. We heard that uh, this young man's father had just had a heart attack. And so I said to him, through our son-in-law translating it, I said, I will pray that your father gets better. And his response was, was this, basically. If Allah wills. said it in Turkish, if Allah wills. It came across as such a cold resignation, but that's exactly what they believe. Oh, well, whatever Allah wants, and he, he may want bad for us, but whatever he wants 
And it was that downtrodden resignation that I saw in his answer. That's not what we see with Habakkuk, nor is it what our response from a Christian perspective should be when it comes to if it's God's will. Because we worship a God who, 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 who has said that we are, ought to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. So here in this book, in conclusion, Habakkuk makes it clear where his heart is. And he shows us what it is to walk by faith. Remember Habakkuk 2.4. That the, the just shall live by their faith. He shows us what it is to live on Saturday. And for those of you that haven't been here for this series, we've been using that term as being uh, in between promise and fulfillment. In other words, they had promises that had not yet been fulfilled and they were looking forward to fulfillment. We're calling that living on Saturday like on the crucifixion, which was on Friday, and it looked like everything was lost at that point. And then still on Saturday, it was, it was darkness. There seemed to be no hope. And then on Sunday was the resurrection, but even on Saturday, they didn't know that that was coming. And it's hard to live on Saturday. That's where Habakkuk was living, and that's where we are living. But we do have that promise that there is another day coming. So we see uh, Habakkuk here showing us how to live on Saturday, that it's not somehow just coming up with a coping mechanism to get through this until that day comes. It's not being in denial, or, or it's not thinking, well, if God is faithful, then he will come and he'll pluck me out of this circumstance. It's none of those things. But instead, it's saying, even though, even though, God, I'm scared, I will not be defined by my fear. And so he says in verse 17 of chapter 3, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord." I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together.
will you open up these, these ever so brief verses to us and apply them to our hearts, to our understanding. Give us ears to hear what you have revealed in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So he begins, as I was just saying, about what it's like to live in difficult times. He first acknowledges that what is coming is going to be tough. He's not, he's not pretending like it won't be or just because he is a follower of God that this is going to be, uh, I'll, I'll fly right through this. It's not the case. You know, believers have the same, we live in the same fallen world that unbelievers live in. We face the same things that they face. We don't get plucked out of, uh, of problems. And if you ever hear a, a preacher say, you come to Christ and you will be healthy and wealthy and you won't have any more problems, they're lying to you. Run. <laughs> Change the channel if, if, that's what, if that's what you're hearing because that's not the case. You say, well, what's, what's the point then? Why, why do we bother following God? Why do we bother being a Christian if we're going to face the same thing? Because that God who is in control not Allah, not an impersonal God, but the, the God of the universe has said, I will be there with you as you go through this. Now he, uh, Habakkuk, uses phrases that are typical of examples of what happens when disaster strikes. Uh, Ju Judah was primarily an uh, agrarian society, uh, Pete, they were farmers. That's agrarian, okay? I know you're learning farming and, and, and all that. So um, here, here we see uh, he's, he's using this as even if these things don't happen because that's where their security tended to be. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, they needed their fig trees to blossom. Uh, nor fruit beyond the vines. The produce of the olive fail. They utterly depended upon, uh, you know, olive oil and the olive crop and so on. And the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Now, Habakkuk isn't talking about a natural disaster. He's, he's basically acknowledging that because of what's coming all of their sources of food may be gone. We, we, may not, we may not be able to eat like we had eaten. What are we going to do? Now, again, that, that's, that's hard for us to picture. Some of you grew up on farms and you depended on, on that. But basically, you know, what if they said all the grocery stores are going to close down? Aldi's won't be there. Sam's won't be there. And you start thinking, well, wait a minute. What, 
what are we going to do then? How's that fit with us? Um, you know, there's plenty of doomsayers out there. And I don't know how you feel about when they say things. Some of you, let me look around. Some of you are old enough to remember Y2K. You remember that? Now, I, I'm not judging anybody because I don't know what you did or didn't do. Um, although if you're a prepper, let me know, and when the next big thing comes, I just want to know, you know where I can go if the disaster actually comes. But So Y2K was, for those of you that don't remember it, it was the turn of the millennium. And people were saying, predicting, basically, everything's going to fall apart. The banking system is going to go down. Computers are going to go down. They don't know how to handle this. There weren't computers a thousand years ago. And, uh, you know, some were just saying, we don't know what's going to happen. And so, we're le- we were left with a dilemma Again, I, I don't know what anybody did. I, I do remember well what I did. I bought one thing of water and one gallon of kerosene for my kerosene heater. We'd have been in a world of trouble if it really had come because that's really all I did. I don't even know why I bothered to do those two things, but it was, of course, winter time, and I thought, well, at least we have a little bit of, of heat, and so, and then I remember I was actually sick on New Year's Eve, and I was in bed, but I put a TV next to me so that I could watch, you know how you can watch uh, the New Year coming around the world? So I saw it in Taiwan and I saw it in uh, Australia, and I saw that they were still functioning and so on, and I thought, oh, that's good, and I was able to fall asleep and so on. Now, later on, I spiritualized that I trusted the Lord. I don't know about you other people, but I was trusting the Lord. But you know what? Every day... You can listen to certain people on the radio. You can listen to certain channels on TV, and they're going to tell you doom is coming. How does that make you feel? They're going to say, you got to buy gold or you got to buy silver. I'm not making any comment on that. But they're using that to say everything's going to fall apart. How does that make you feel? And that might help you decide, where's my security? Now, I think we have to use the common sense that God gives to us. And yet, ultimately, our security cannot be in our crops yielding, in our bank accounts being full, in the banks working, None of those things can we absolutely put our trust in. It must be in the God of the universe. And that's what Habakkuk is showing us here.
He says, though all of those things fail, here will be my response and it will be one, one of joy. Now, we just passed Thanksgiving Day. Uh, I love how the Bible commentator Matthew Henry understood how we can give thanks in all circumstances. This is uh, what he wrote uh, after he had been robbed. Okay, so he's, he, uh, highwaymen robbed him. He said this, let me be thankful first because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it was not much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. So here he gives this perspective of how do, how do we give thanks in all circumstances. But I want us to understand that that wasn't the reason why Habakkuk responded in joy. There were negative circumstances he knew he was facing, but he wasn't just playing mind games. He understood something different. Now, a further hint of understanding might be from the Apostle Paul, who was able to be joyful in difficult circumstances. What did he write in uh, Philippians called the epistle of joy? It was written while he was in prison, and yet this is what he said. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of uh, facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Notice he doesn't just say, I've learned how to face need. He says, I've learned how to face abundance also. Because that's when you can forget about God. You remember about God when you're in need. You can forget about him when you're in abundance. And then he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So he is, Paul is specific about these circumstances, but that still doesn't answer our question, how could Habakkuk possibly respond in joy given these negative circumstances? Look at what he says, verse 18. This is what he's rejoicing in. I will rejoice in the, in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my Salvation. It's what we were singing. It's not about my circumstances. It is taking joy in Christ. He, he was not rejoicing because of circumstances, but in spite of them. So his commitment to joy was never based upon the circumstances of his life but they were often and usually in spite of circumstances. And Paul's contentment was in Christ himself. And that's our only hope for joy. If, it, if we are trying to figure out how we can rejoice 
based on circumstances, we are going to fail miserably. Look at what he goes on then, to what, he, what God does for his children. Verse 19, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Now, that's quoted, uh, that is a quote that's recorded by David two other times. I'll just tell you, you can look them up later. 2 Samuel twenty-two thirty-four and Psalm 18, 34. Basically, both places he says, he makes my feet like the feet of a deer and set me uh, secure on the heights. If you go over, uh, well, you can see this in many places, I'm sure, in the world, but uh, when we were in Israel, we, we saw that. You'd see a rock face. It looked like there'd be no, no foothold anywhere, and there would be a goat standing there, kind of leaning in a little bit, but his, his feet were on whatever was there. And so... Here's what uh, Habakkuk, I mean, I mean, the first two quotes, the context of them, uh, the one in 2 Samuel and the one in Psalm 18, both of them, in both places, the next phrase is talking about, because I'm at war, I need this. I need my feet to be like a doe's feet. I have to be a warrior I have to do one of the hardest things any human being can be required to do, but God is enabling me in that task to stand as if I were on firm ground. When it looks like there is no ground, he makes my feet so I can stand. When nobody in the world can understand why I would be standing, because there's no explanation. They can't see what you're standing on. That's what God enables me to do by his strength. God's going to make me sure-footed, untiring, infused with energy. And so it's saying that, that that's for us as well. He can make you steady in the most precarious-looking circumstances, in ones when, where those without God are falling right and left because they've got nothing to help them stand, Habakkuk says, all my props, if all of them are removed, if everything that I'm trusting in is gone, you're going to enable me to stand. Now, this ends in what looks like, to some of us, a strange way. To the choir master, no offense to any choir masters, but uh, to the choir master with stringed instruments. So it ends there, and the chapter uh, began, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigionoth, and uh, we don't even know what that means, but think that was some kind of a, um, a musical term as well. So basically what you have here is a psalm. Uh, so we need to think about 
this prayer as a song. Now, I have to wonder this. I'm convinced that those terms tell us that uh, God's people, when they were in captivity and so on, and they would worship, that they, they probably sang this as a reminder. Yes, it's tough, but yet I will rejoice in the Lord. God is in his holy temple. And being reminded of, of those things. But I also have to wonder when they were, whether they might have sang it as they were literally being carried off into captivity in, into another country that they didn't know. And so, they're given these words. And Habakkuk has rediscovered the God who is with him in his fears. This, the, this book begins where he says, how long and why? You could look at that, and if you want to psychoanalyze, which I don't think is a smart idea when you're looking back at people, but some would say he was obviously depressed in the beginning of the book. Saying, you know, throwing up his hands. I don't get it. I can't understand this. And then he went back and forth with God. But somehow, he comes to a rediscovery. A rediscovery of who this God is that is willing to converse with him. And this is what he said. He had said in Habakkuk 3.2, in, in, in wrath he remembers mercy. And here's what we need to know. It was on the cross where God showed his wrath, where it was poured out, but where mercy met his wrath. Where we didn't have to go to the cross because in his wrath there was mercy. And so we read in 3.13, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. Does that sound familiar? the anointed one, the Messiah. 650 years after Habakkuk quit writing, another prophet came. Not just another prophet, the prophet. The ultimate prophet who was also priest and king. He was called a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. In his life, he experienced such anguish that uh, Luke says he sweated blood. Hebrews 5, 7 said, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. He gets it, this prophet that was to come. He went to the cross so that we didn't have to. And God's wrath and his divine mercy meet in his anointed one in Jesus Christ. So here we are. Some of you are in the middle of a situation that would cause anyone to fear. Others of you will be. 
and you just don't know it yet, where will your endurance to live come from? Hebrews 12, 2, look to Jesus who for the joy that was set before him endured the, the cross. The question Habakkuk causes us to cope with is, if this is Habakkuk's song, what will our song be? When we face that which should cause us to stumble and not stand, when we face that which will, would cause us to fear, what will our song be? May our song be this. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Let's bow together. Lord, will you cause that to be the case? We cannot just conjure up faith to walk through these difficult things that, that people have to walk, walk through in a fallen world. But you have shown us that when our joy is in our salvation, that joy can never be taken from us. Will you help us not to be defined by our fear but to be defined by our joy in the midst of fearsome circumstances. We ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.